Welcome to Success the Last, a podcast that honestly explores the complicated topic of success. I'm your host, Jared Siegel. I'm a partner at DeLap and leader of our wealth advisory practice. During each episode, we're going to talk to a business owner, entrepreneur, real estate investor, or industry thought leader about their own experiences, insights, and observations as it pertains to life, business, finances, and ultimately fulfillment. Candidly, it can be lonely at the top. Our desire is to use this podcast to connect you with the ideas and resources so you can be better equipped to make more predictable, profitable, and rewarding decisions as you juggle the competing priorities of life, business, and money. Keep in mind, this is a podcast. It's not meant to be a replacement for your CPA or financial advisor, so be sure to check with the appropriate professionals before implementing any of the ideas. All right. Well, welcome, Sarah Padfield and Natalie Heacock to Success the Last. We're excited to have you. Thanks. Thank you. Awesome. So we've gotten a chance to get to know one another a little bit, but our listeners haven't. So uh, let's start with Natalie. Natalie, you've made a lot of decisions that led to this moment in time. Can you uh, <laughs> walk us through kind of your professional journey that led you to this moment in time? Sure. So I actually started at another Portland firm, Perkins. Gosh, I don't even know how long ago that was. I was there for about four years, had a really nice time, was a really great experience, met some really awesome people. And then I jumped ship and came straight over to Patrick Lumber. And I've been here ever since. I think I just had my sixth year. Awesome. So Perkins Public Accounting Firm, some business advisory work. Did you always think that you were going to kind of find your way into public accounting and ultimately like corporate finance? No. <laughs> no. Well, my undergrad was in finance, so I never thought I was going to do accounting. I had a horrible accounting professor. I will not name any names. And I was like, this is just not for me. And so I graduated in 08, which, as we all know, is not the best time to graduate with a finance degree. And so I wasn't quite sure what to do. And I ended up going back and getting my MBA from Willamette. And there I had a really great accounting professor. And that kind of changed my whole trajectory. And so from there, I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. Now I don't have the right credits to sit for the exam. So how are we going to do that? And so I went to University of Portland for undergrad. And so I went back to UP, took some more undergrad classes, and then was non-traditional in my applying for public accounting because I did have that MBA. I actually applied at the lab and didn't get the job, just so you guys know. Whoa, whoa. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Missed opportunity for Teams Lap. <laughs> I like to rub that in whenever I can. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for not pulling a punch. Awesome. I guess when you think about kind of that professional experience, having an MBA and having that the CPA, are you able to delineate which skill set or tool belt you kind of rely upon more, or is it kind of one complements the other? I think they complement each other. The CPA is, you know, obviously technical skills, which you have to have to do your job. But for me, what I found is the people skills are so important. And the MBA definitely gives you, you know, you, you do so much teamwork and you work with so many different types of people that you really pick up that skill set as well with also getting some more technical skills. Absolutely. All right. Well, Natalie, we'll be circling back here with you in a second. But Sarah Padfield, partner at DeLap, service line leader of the assurance practice. Why don't you reset for our listeners? What were some of the decisions 
that you made along the way that led you to this moment in time of leading Delap's assurance practice? Well, it was a long road, I feel like. I've actually been at Delap over 16 years now. So I uh, went to also University of Portland, probably had the same accounting professor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, graduated in 2004 and started at Delap at that time. So I guess kind of similar. When I was in college, they changed the credit requirements for the CPA exam. And when I graduated, I didn't have enough credits. And so I was sort of in a boat of, do I get an MBA or get some other additional credits and then apply later or just kind of start working? At the time, I was working at an architecture firm and my boss was a client of Delap. And, and I showed him, he was a CPA, worked at larger firm. I, so I showed him the list of firms that were going to be at Meet the Firms. And he was like, oh, you should go talk to Delap. They're my CPA. And I was like, Perfect, great. So I talked to people at the booth that night and got some interviews going and decided that I got an offer from Delap, which I couldn't apply to any other big firms. I thought that's where I wanted to be because everybody in my family who was a CPA, they all worked at big four firms. So I was just like, that's kind of the only path that's available. And even at University of Portland, I would say that accounting students at the time were just pushed towards big four, Moss Adams. So I wasn't aware of like other options that were out there. I well started at Delap. At the time, the firm was a lot smaller. There was about 35 people at the firm and we just kind of did whatever got dropped on your desk. Um, whether it was audit or tax returns, I did tax returns for a few years. And after like a few terrible depreciation projects, decided that tax work was not for me. So committed to doing assurance work. I always liked doing audits. I liked being out of the office. I liked being in teamwork environment. I would say I also never expected to be in public accounting for this long. Again, everybody I knew, like from my family, they maybe made it to manager. Some of them were partners, but then they ended up leaving. So that was sort of the path that I expected to take as well. But once I became a manager, I you know started to like it more and more. Even at that time, I would say I didn't even I wouldn't say I wanted to be a partner at all. And I think some of the things I feel like are a benefit of public accounting are definitely the flexibility in your schedule. I've had two kids since I've been at Delap, and it's been nice to have, you know, time off from work for those events. Also, we have a sabbatical program, which is also nice to take as a partner. So some of those things have definitely kept me in the in public accounting and just having a chance to work with different people all the time, such as Natalie. So I've been a partner for three years now. As I progressed along the way, you get introductions to more and more kind of partner type work and meeting with clients on a different level, sort of some of the, the business aspect of running a firm. You get involved in more and more and just the more that I did it, the more I liked it and kept pursuing the path to partner. Awesome. Thanks for sharing both of you. If you'd be so kind, you know, a lot of the time you show up to a podcast like this, we keep it really classy. You know, Brene Brown would would encourage us to be more vulnerable, more real. You know, so from time to time, I, I share, I'm a father of three kids. I'm a husband, you know, a friend, a brother. You know, there, there's a lot of textures to our identity. So who we are at the office is just one mask that we wear. Who are you guys outside of the office? Yeah. <laughs> I also have three kids, three, five, and seven, and it's wild, and a dog. 
a chocolate lab. It's pretty cute. And so when I'm not working, I'm being a mom, being a wife, and basically managing a household. (laughs) Obviously cannot, you know, you just one person can't do it all. So I have a really awesome support system, family, paid support between, you know, things at home. And that's what I spend a lot of my time doing. But for fun, because I do have that too. We're big boaters. So we go out boating quite often. And I really like to read. Don't get to do it very often, but it's pretty exciting when I do. Excellent. What do you enjoy reading? Oh, I like all the self-help stuff. Yeah? Yeah. And Give me a favorite. Give me one or two. Recent favorite, I'd say Reality-Based Leadership by Cy Wakeman. Really great book. Taking the drama out of out of your people interactions. It's really interesting. Obviously, anything by Brene Brown. And then I'm really trying to get into High Performance Habits by Brennan Burchard. It's really intense, but it has some really great nuggets if you can get through the book. <laughs> uh, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Where do you find your books? Like those are... Brene Brown's pretty mainstream, but I haven't heard of the other ones. Where do you kind of source your ideas? You know, it started with one person who I started following a long time ago. And her name was Rachel Hollis. Not, I'm not the biggest fan of her anymore. But at the time I was and she had some really great content and she would refer to all these other people all the time. And so it was like, okay, you're interesting. And all these podcasts are all free. So it's like you can literally find a podcast on anything. Even success that lasts. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, that's, I mean, that's kind of really what we're talking about is, is trying to successfully navigate and juggle all of these competing priorities. You know, how do you win at the office? How do you win in your marriage? How do you win with your family members? How do you win in your finances? Because there's a finite amount of time and, and you hinted at it, we're juggling. Sarah, who are, who are you outside of the office? I know it, but listeners don't. Well, I think if you ask my kids, they would have a way different picture of, of me than probably obviously at the office. I feel like I have two different lives sometimes because on the weekends, it's just like, go, go, go. I'm like, did I take a shower today? Like, I don't remember sometimes <laughs> on the weekends. Like, did I eat today? I'm not sure. You know, it's just kind of taking care of the kids. And uh, my kids are a little, they are nine and four. So just kind of getting into, well, pre, you know, pan, pre-pandemic sports things in school. I also volunteer the, well, school PTO treasurer and social media person because people keep dropping out of (laughs) different roles. (laughs) So I do lots of volunteer activities when I can. And I I think that's probably the thing I'm learning to say no to or just trying to kind of update the volunteer activities that I am doing. I was on a few boards that just kind of weren't serving me anymore, just where I was in my life. And not that there's, it's just sort of like different seasons of life. I'm actually now like the baseball scheduler and things like that. So I think right now my kids are just at that age where those are the things like that's where I'm meeting like friend, you know, new friends on the sports sidelines and wanting to be involved that way. I also love reading, but don't get to read much (laughs) also. So I listen to a ton of podcasts and like Brene Brown, it's a big one who I listen to as well. And just kind of as she interviews people, like go down different rabbit trails and find kind of their where they came from, learn more about them. And so sometimes those are books that I'll pick up from them. I also, there's how we built this or how we built this on NPR. And it goes through different stories of entrepreneurs and just 
I think it's just really interesting all the people that you listen to, you know, all the different events that they had to make or changes. I think, I think Jared said it before, like overnight success is not a thing. It's a lot of hard work and a lot of struggle on the way. And I think that's easily forgotten sometimes. And you just see somebody up maybe on a pedestal that you look up to and you're like, wow, like they're doing so great. And, you know, reality, they might think that that particular day they're doing a terrible job at everything. You're juggling so much sometimes. And when people at our firm will, you know, like, oh, you're such a role model to me. I appreciate that so much. But I also try to tell them I struggle too. like this. My path took a long time. You can't, it's nothing happens overnight. Some days I like feel like a dumpster fire. Like I'm not doing anything. right. Yeah. Well, Sarah, I want to unpack that a little bit and give you guys both a chance to answer that. Ray Dalio talks about pain plus reflection equals progress. Um, I think it's super easy uh, to sit back and look at somebody else's success and just assume that they kind of, it was a linear ascent, the late nights, the tears, the blood, the sweat, the anxiety, like that's, people don't get to see that. And so, you know, here you are partner in one of the region's largest local firms, you're leading the assurance practice. You know, this is an 88 year old organization. You're an owner today. By all measures, you're very, very successful. But I, I presume that when you were in the front seat of your career, it felt bouncy at times. I mean, to what extent do you want to share some of the, the challenges or adversity that you've had to kind of overcome the, the perseverance that was ultimately rewarded? Yeah, I think public accounting in general has or had a low female participation rate as it is increasing, but also female ownership is definitely not at the same level as male ownership is. I guess I take that responsibility seriously to, you know, kind of create something for the next generation of leaders of all, all genders, particularly for women too, and to try to create a place where they feel like, you know, the traditional career path in public accounting is five years to manager. And then maybe four to five more years to partner and that's it. And that's not necessarily everybody's career path and just trying to highlight some of those differences. That certainly wasn't my career path. I mean, there was definitely times of, especially when you first have children, like your first one, you feel like juggling it all is impossible. There's a lot of sleepless nights. I thought that the sleepless nights would go away, but they haven't, I would say. (laughs) And just, you know, definitely lots of tears over, you know, growing. You feel like, Every mistake you make is can be magnified sometimes, especially when you're tired and you just like emotionally can't <laughs> handle one more thing, I think. So yeah, definitely making a lot of mistakes. You know, that's probably one thing. I think that's why Brene Brown is someone that speaks to me so well currently is to try to get over being perfect. There's no such thing as, you know, a perfect person. And I, I think the mistakes can definitely be magnified in your career, especially when you get to a high level and you have a lot of people looking at what you're doing, what you're saying too. So also tr- give yourself grace to make make mistakes and do better the next day. Yeah. So Natalie, I, I'm going to pose the same question to you. So 13 years ago, finished up your school in the midst of record high unemployment and a huge recession and very few people interested in hiring people. And then you fast forward today you're the you're an owner in a hundred year old timber company timber brokerage company and and a financial leader within the organization i mean 
that's super, super awesome. But it, I, I presume it wasn't again, a linear, a linear place, linear path to where you are today. I mean, if you had an opportunity to go back and speak to the 22 year old version of you to prepare you for the adversity that you were going to have to overcome, what's that advice sound like? <laughs> it's a good question. Gosh, 22 year old me. Whew. You know, <laughs> advice then and advice now, something I, you know, I say often is one day at a time. It's so easy to get wrapped up in, well, what does it look like when I'm even at the beginning, when I'm, when I have a full-time job, when I yeah. make senior, when I, you know, switch firms, what does it look like? And you can get in your head so easily about this reality that isn't true. And it's hard to imagine that. And so when you start to feel that kind of out of controlness, if you just focus on, well, what can I do today? What in my day today can I do to move the needle to get me there, you know, five years down the road? If this is what my goal is, if, you know, my goal is to be partner in this firm, what can I do today? And that always brings me back to the now and to the present and helps me just remember that there's so much outside of your control. So thinking about it and worrying about it isn't going to solve anything. So today is the day we're going to worry about and today is the day we're going to move the needle to get to where we want to be. That's uh, wise counsel. Yeah. Kind of I in, in the world of finance, we spend a lot of time talking about, you know, the things that matter and the things that we can control to focus our time, energy, and attention there. Well, I think it's interesting that both of you have talked about Brene Brown. So that's a spectacular TED Talk if somebody hasn't yet seen that. And obviously she's come out with the with a whole suite of books. Strongly encourage all of those. But I guess to what extent has have mentors, real and virtual, played in your your career development. Natalie, you want to go first? Sure. Yeah. I always had this idea of a mentor as someone on a pedestal and someone that you come to and they solve all your problems for you. And as I have gotten more experience, I've realized that mentors are actually people that you talk to every single day or people that you have friendships with. Like I I would consider Sarah a mentor to me. I call her when I don't know what else to do. <laughs> she she meets me for lunch and we have a conversation. And so sometimes it's not about that title. It definitely can be. Yeah. The other thing is you can have a mentor that you don't know. So it doesn't have to be somebody that is answering a question for you or is giving you the benefit. It It can be Brene Brown. It can be somebody else who you look up to and you study their work and you implement their ideas into your daily life. Awesome. Yeah, I, I agree. Sarah, other relationships or people that have been influential in your, your career development? I definitely appreciate having people in similar jobs and kind of similar places in life to talk to like Natalie and some of the other partners at Delap. It doesn't even have to be, I would say, females. Like I think I've found a lot of help with just kind of male peers at our firm who are going through similar things. And I think just having good dialogue with them as far as kind of what each person sees, maybe situations differently and just kind of getting a different perspective is helpful too. And I think having also some humor in, in things is fun. There's a lot, I think that's where sort of social media can be good sometimes just to have like some different funny people that you follow who kind of just make you laugh during the day about what you see and certainly have had like the sort of formal relationships. But I think I've also found different clients who are places where I 
would want to be in the future and kind of talking with them and getting to know them as well and using them as a resource too. And like I said, certain members of my family, just sort of hearing people's stories, I think is helpful, is always been helpful for me as far as like mentoring and coaching go and trying to find some common ground or just some similarities in the, in the past. It's pretty, pretty incredible to reflect back on the people that have positively impacted you. You know, the, the fact that I'm at Delap, I could source back to a mentor when I was in college that told me accounting was the language of business and that I was going to have to learn it one day, you know, one day or another with real money or fake, you know, and fake being glad of the classroom. And so that's pretty incredible. And I, you know, coaches along the way or family friends along the way, that's a, a neat thing to reflect upon. And I, I guess I'd encourage any of us that are here right now listening to take some time to tell those people that have positively impacted your life, the role that they played, because I think it's easy to kind of be impacted by somebody, for, but forget to tell them that. And I think probably each of us, we throw awake in our own life. There you go, Natalie, a boating metaphor <laughs> that we throw awake and we may or may not see its impact. Sometimes it's good. Hopefully it's mostly good. Sometimes it might not be, but just taking the time to tell those that have positively imp- impacted you is, I don't know, just a great thing. Like in the midst of today where bad news is kind of amplified, it feels like, you know, gratitude is something that you really have to be effort, you know, intentional with. Gratitude's the on-ramp to joy and we all want to live joyful life. So you guys have both referenced podcasts. We're making one right now. Hopefully it's going to positively impact some people. But what are some podcasts that you guys have uh, have found beneficial ones that you're you're checking in with pretty regularly besides success at last okay yeah thank you strong we'll, we'll plug it like six times on the show Appreciate it. Thank you. yeah i think i recently started listening to a podcast by adam grant he's an organizational psychologist and he has books out too but has podcasts about different kind of current events related to work and i think at Delap, i'm focused a lot on the People cited it leading the assurance service line. And so I'm really interested, I think, in that area right now is just trying to, especially in a pandemic when, I mean, this is my first pandemic, hopefully my last, but just trying to figure out ways to help people as much as possible and support them in this time. And I mean, also support myself and try to get some validation for <laughs> for ways that I'm feeling is probably the mo- one I've been listening to the most. And just sometimes the Goop podcast has good <laughs> good people. Again, just that, like different specialists in different areas that are different than what I normally listen to and kind of can pick those out. Awesome. Yeah. Actually, you know, in preparing for this conversation, Sarah, you and I were talking and we talked about Adam Grant and you'd referenced his last book, Think Again. And I, I was like, oh, I haven't, all the other stuff I've read of his, I've liked. And so I went and tracked it down, read it and it's actually inspired some other conversations on the podcast. So thanks for uh, sharing it and would strongly recommend that to the listeners. I'm Natalie, still working my way through it. <laughs> still working your way through it. There you go. You probably have more interruptions in your life than I do. Natalie, are there any kind of resources or podcasts that have been a source of encouragement and ideas for you? Yeah. Sarah already mentioned this, but How I Built This, Guy Raz, it's a great podcast. And I think anyone can relate to that. There's so many brands and people and and really awesome. Also, he just wrote a book and it's fantastic. So if you haven't read that, you should read his book. It's really neat. I listen to John Maxwell has a really great podcast on leadership. And I really like to listen to that. I kind of pick and choose what I listen to just with limited time. So Brene Brown, obviously her podcast is fantastic. 
I take and choose kind of which ones I want to listen to from there. And occasionally I'll do a Joe Rogan, depending on who it is. So that's helpful. Appreciate that. So we'll link to we'll link to some of those in the show notes just to keep people connected. If you're listening or something, don't be don't be driving and, and taking notes. So Sarah, you'd mentioned this, trying to raise some kids, support your marriage. You're leading this the assurance service line. Natalie, you've got three kiddos, married, a career. How do you guys prioritize time? Like how do you get it all done? Because there's there's more things that you could do but there's a subset of things that you must do. You probably have messed up plenty of times over the years in terms of got the got it wrong, but presumably you reflect upon what you got wrong and, and learn from it. So if we were to kind of share some of the tuition that you've paid along the way, getting kind of priorities right, like how do you think about all these different demands from kids to work to yourself to just running a house? Recently, I heard a metaphor about the juggling and trying to decide which which ball is most important. Might It might not be the same one all the time. And I feel like with our family, that's sort of what we try to work around. My husband's also a CPA and the kids know like when it's busy season, that means we can't do some of the things that we can do other times of the year. And so, I mean, my older one especially cannot, you know, start to understand that he knows when the tax deadlines are. So we will be set on that for the future and just try to draw them in. I think that is sort of one thing that's been helpful with the pandemic, I guess, and kind of being homeschooled with the kids is having more, he's had more of a chance to participate in family chores. And I think I also, part of that is like teaching him for the future. I always tell him like, I'm trying to teach you how to be a successful adult. I don't want you to be the roommate who doesn't know how to do dishes and doesn't know how to do laundry. And I think, you know, having him take some ownership over some of those tasks, like he's not going to do it the way that I would always do it, but he will get it done and he it's going to be fine. And I think so, so some of that for me is just letting go of the way that, quote, I would do things and letting other people help. And I think, especially with work, that's one thing I always have to keep pushing myself on is letting other people help, bring other people in when I need it. So I think kind of the same for me at home, it's just juggling everything and not everything gets the same priority at all times. I have to say no to things when it's not time for that, for that ball to be a priority, I guess. That is hard for sure. Is there something over the last six months to a year that you've gotten better at saying no to that was previously harder? I think it's probably coming with the extra you know, volunteer things, I think it's been a boundary that I've been better at saying no to. And really, I think for a, a while, especially after my second son was born, I just was like not prioritizing sleep. And I've been trying to do that recently, just realizing like I can't run on zero forever. So really trying to say no to things that aren't going to allow me to get kind of like meet my sleep goals when my watch tells me that I'm at my sleep goals for the day. There you go. <laughs> So I think sort of the extra activities I've been, you know, I think I've gotten better at saying no to, although we'll see, but. Yeah, I'm terrible at it, trying to get better at it. Michael Hyatt talked about an affirmative no. And so the the basic framework of an affirmative no is like, hey, Sarah, thanks for asking. means a lot to, to, that you did ask. I don't have the time to do it. Or right now, I can't make that a priority. However, providing some level of resource, providing some sort of a connection, providing some 
some path towards their resolution, even directionally. Hey, maybe try it over here. So kind of essentially a yes, no, yes framework is kind of the affirmative no. And no one likes saying no. No one likes disappointing anyone else. But candidly, every yes is a no somewhere else. And generally speaking, it violates you, your marriage, your kids. And uh, so, yeah. I'm still playing with it. So if you ever hear me go, yes, no, yes, that's a uh, source to Michael Hyatt. I'm trying to get better with my affirmative no. I wrote yeah. that down. Yes, no, there, yes. Yes, no, yes. Yeah. Have you ever heard the saying, if it's not a hell yes, then it's a hell no? I have now. <laughs> it sounds like a t-shirt. I mean, I don't say it out loud. I say it in my head. Don't yeah. offend anyone. But that's how I try to kind of frame that because I do this thing where I think about, you know, someone's like, do you want to do this? I'm like, that sounds fun. And then I don't touch it. I'm like, mm, that does sound fun. But no, was that a hell yes? No, it wasn't. That was like, yeah. a, I could do that. And so it really helps me shape the things I do say yes to. I am a people pleaser through and through. And so trying to reframe that and realizing that saying no, it's for me, I need to say no for myself. So we talked about this a little bit earlier, like, hey, imagine what it would be like to go back and talk to the 22-year-old version of you. What's kind of an interesting thing in the world of, of finance and financial planning is that we can see how much we've changed historically. It would be silly for us to think about what we saw and did when we were in our teens. They were silly, right? And, and we've grown up a lot since then. But when we think about the future, we're terrible at forecasting who we're going to be in the future. So I guess with that being said, like if we're trying to share some ideas that are helpful to people kind of in the midst of, of their career, right? They're getting married, they're having kids, they're getting promoted. What's interesting is all of a sudden there's new stakeholders to your calendar. And so you're trying to juggle all of these different competing priorities. What are some of the ways that you think the audience could listen or frame some of this stuff just to provide perspective. You know, I guess if, as we climb up the mountain, your per perspective changes. And, and by no means are you guys at the top, but you're farther up the mountain than you were 10 years ago. What have you learned as, as your perspective of life changed as there was new stakeholders in your life and the responsibilities that you were juggling got bigger? I always thought that when you achieved the next step, then it got easier. Like when I get to here, it's going to start to be easy. And that's just not true at all. <laughs> it's a new level. You just continue to level up. And I don't know if that's something I maybe wanted to know when I was 22. Maybe it's a good thing I didn't realize that back then. That being naive helped me keep going. But there's constantly new challenges. There's constantly new struggles. But that being said, that means you're constantly growing as a person. And that means you're constantly living into yourself and being, you know, here and present and who you're supposed to be. So although there may be the challenges, there's also the growth that comes with that. I like that a lot. Sarah? Well, first give a plug for finishing your CPA exam as soon as you can. That's always <laughs> my like number one advice to everybody because I didn't do that. And that was always like, you know, it was just extra years off my life, I think. That's always my first plug. And I think also some patience as well. I was definitely at times in my career not patient. I was like, I just need to be here like by this time because that's what everybody else is doing. And that's just not, that wasn't my path. That wasn't going to work for me. And I think just being patient, you will get where you want to be if you're taking steps to grow every day, every year. 
you don't see those things until you're looking backwards, like you said. So it's hard to be patient. You both said something. I'm going to see if I can take what you said and, and stitch a stitch an idea together here. See if we can pull it off. So this idea of learning, persistent learning, and that things won't necessarily get easy easier, but your skill set expands and your capacity to deal with the adversity increases. And, and Sarah, you talked about patience. I recently encountered this idea that I thought was really interesting that maybe complements those two ideas is that learning can be a bit like compound interest. Albert Einstein called compound interest the eighth wonder of the world. And so as you have all these different experiences and each day you learn something new, kind of this accretive growth of ideas that it, they soon start to compound upon one another. And so you start stop going from kind of this linear growth model to more of an exponential growth model. The guy that, that actually shared the concept, he's like, it's almost like your ideas, like your knowledge starts having babies. And I was like, that's, <laughs> that's interesting. But I mean, if you start being able to connect the dots, because, you know, once you get to 10,000 hours, you kind of, Malcolm Gladwell, you're an expert, you know, your capacity to understand things continues to grow. And so I think there's a tremendous amount of wisdom in what you just said that it doesn't get, it never gets easier, but your ability to handle it expands and to just be patient, right? Because if you just trust the process and continue and commit to growth, can commit to sticking with it, a lot of good things come of that. Yeah, I think I'm trying to, you know, with my kids, especially like instill in them, like practice. And when you see people like our family's willing to baseball, like even our professional baseball players still practices every single day, even though they're playing a hundred and you know, 170, whatever games a year. So you're never going to get to the place where you don't have to practice what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as we wind things down, one of the guests on the show earlier this year or last year, I guess, Paul Schlumberger, his He's talking about interviewing and how to acquire great talent. And, and when we we're getting ready for this conversation, we actually were talking about hiring people. And for most of us, you know, it's people, culture, and execution is what really differentiates one organization from another. And so getting great people is important. So his favorite interview question, I'm going to put on you guys to end our time together. So successful moms, wives, daughters, friends, and business leaders you happen to have some kids at home, two and three, so five kids amongst the two of you. Paul Schlumberger's question was, what are the values that are most important for you to transcribe into the hearts of your kids before they leave the house? He was trying to understand the values that, are, that were most important to these people. And so young kids, in the not so distant future, they, they leave for college. When they leave for college, what, what's most important that they've learned during their time in your house? For me, family is is number one. And I try to exemplify that every day. And yes, I work long hours. And yes, things get crazy. But at the end of the day, family is what is my motivator and what drives me. And I want to be a good example for my kids and for my husband. And it's the most important thing in my life. And then beyond that, I would say integrity. I think that that is one of the most important things that you can have as a leader. I mean, what are you doing when no one's watching? It's easy to make the right decision when everybody's watching you. But when you have to make some of those decisions behind closed doors, and it'd be a lot easier to avoid them or you know, take the easy road, what are you doing? So I think those would be my, my top two. 
those are awesome. Before Sarah jumps in, just as a father myself wanting to learn, how do you teach your kids integrity? <laughs> Tone at the top? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah? No, no I'm actually not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I think showing them for what they can see and then talking about it with them. And obviously my kids, three, five, seven, my three-year-old's not going to get what that means. But, you know, maybe you can show it in a different way. Maybe you can bring it home with something else like, hey, you know, save some candy for your brother. <laughs> Little yeah. things like that, that can kind of like what you said, can compound upon each other and yeah. build a foundation. Awesome. Sarah, what, what do your kids learn before they head off, head off to start life? I really want them to have grit and be just to be able to persevere through anything that life is going to throw at them. I, you know, tell them all the time, I want them to be happy, whatever thing they want to do in their life. But I, sometimes it's, it's just not going to be easy to get there or even sometimes to get through like a certain day can be really difficult. So just having the grit to kind of see whatever you're going to do through is really important to me. That's strong. I like that. My kids talk. I'm once I encountered Angela Duckworth's research on grit. I made sure that my kids knew that what it meant. Yeah, at points that I've even experimented having them write up grit plans. You know, <laughs> just because I don't care whether they learn how to play the piano or they you know practice sports or not. I just want them to encounter passion and perseverance. You know, so well. Congratulations to both of you for what you've been able to accomplish in your lives holistically with your marriages, with your kids and with your careers. And thank you for taking the time to kind of share authentically that the journey is nonlinear, that there's been some bumps and bruises along the way. And it's really about patience and perseverance and some passion, grit, that's helped you get to where you are today. Thank, so thank you. you. Thank you yeah. so much for having me. Excellent. Yeah, Excellent thank much. you. I'm so excited. My first podcast. <laughs> Hey, Sarah, it's your best podcast ever, too. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.